0: Welcome to Economics in Action, a podcast where we discuss ideas and topics related to economics. Today we'll be examining a recent news story that Florida is limiting foreigners, and especially Chinese, from buying property in the state. How should we view this current law and the broader point of foreigners owning property or land in another country? Let's start with a quote from The Guardian about the new law. On May 8th, Governor Ron DeSantis signed SB64 into law, a measure that bars almost all property ownership for people or entities from various countries of concern, including China, Cuba, North Korea, and Russia. Under the law, they can't buy property with some exceptions. Individuals who hold a non-tourist visa or have been granted asylum can buy a residence of less than 2 acres if it is least 5 miles away from a military base or critical infrastructure. The law singles out Chinese people with higher penalties for violation, but it does not apply to those who are naturalized U.S. citizens or who have legal permanent green card residency. Before we continue, it's important to note a couple of key points. Firstly, prior to this new law being passed, foreign nationals could freely purchase property in the United States without citizenship or a green card, with the exception of a few countries on the list, such as Cuba and North Korea, being barred due to federal sanctions. Even though there were no laws in the U.S. preventing purchases of homes by foreigners, there were more stringent requirements for foreigners wanting to purchase, as well as different tax laws. The second thing to point out is that, as the exemption states, Chinese nationals studying or working in the U.S. can still buy land as long as it's a certain distance from military installations or critical infrastructure. Lastly, and most importantly, it's that much of the concern about this new law coming into effect has more to do with unbalanced penalties associated with breaking the law than a ban on property ownership by foreign nationals. Chinese people will face much harsher penalties than purchasers from other countries, with the possibility of five years in prison and a $5,000 fine. This is seen as a discriminatory practice and has brought up memories of the alien land laws of the past that discriminated against Asian Americans. So what were these alien land laws? There were a series of legislative attempts in the United States to restrict the ability of immigrants, particularly those from Asian countries, to own land or lease land. These laws were primarily enacted in the Western states where Asian immigration was most prevalent. The first of these laws was enacted in California in 1913. This law prohibited aliens ineligible for citizenship from owning agricultural land. At the time, U.S. law barred Asian immigrants from becoming naturalized citizens, so the law effectively targeted Asian immigrants. The law did allow these immigrants to lease land for up to three years, but this provision was removed in 1920. Similar laws were enacted in other states, including Arizona, Washington, and Oregon. These laws were part of a broader pattern of discrimination against Asian immigrants in the early 20th century, which also included exclusionary immigration laws and discriminatory naturalization laws. The alien land laws were largely invalidated by the Supreme Court in a series of decisions in the 1940s and 1950s. The court ruled that these laws violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, which guarantees equal protection under the law of all persons within the United States. While the issue of discriminatory laws put in place against Asian Americans is an important topic worth discussing, we'll keep our focus here on the idea of property ownership by foreigners, as it pertains more directly to what we're trying to assess. So let's raise another question. What are other countries' stances on foreign ownership of real estate and land? The answer is that there is a wide variety of policies that run the gamut from relatively little to no restrictions to outright bans. Let's first take a look at our neighbor to the north, Canada. Policymakers there recently instated a two-year ban on non resident foreigners from purchasing homes with the ostensible reason being to ease inflation. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced the plan in 2022 when housing prices were up 27% from the year before. He argued that the ban is not to discriminate against foreigners or keep them out of the country, but to slow purchases of homes by foreign investors and companies. He attributes their purchases to a speculative boom that is causing the high levels of price increases and remarked, quote, This is leading to a real problem of underused and vacant housing, rampant speculation, and skyrocketing prices. Homes are for people, not investors. We'll discuss later how economists view policies like this and whether they are effective or not. On the other end of the spectrum is America's southern neighbor, Mexico. There are almost no restrictions on foreign ownership of residential real estate except for two exceptions that can be easily bypassed. Ehito land for communal agriculture is indigenous land which technically can't be owned by foreigners unless you get approval from the community and go through a series of administrative processes to convert the land into freehold title. But it can be done. The other is land within the restricted zone. Which is land within 50 kilometers of the coast and 100 kilometers of international land borders. However, this also has a workaround with a land trust called a Fidicomiso, which is held by a bank. Anywhere else in the country is open business. As for China, foreigners can indeed buy property there. However, you need to have worked or studied there for at least a year and also be purchasing the property for residential purposes only. You won't own the land, as that is owned by the Communist Party of China, but is leased out for 70-year periods. However, even if the government were to revoke the lease after the 70-year period is up, you would still be compensated. Okay, now let's talk figures. How much property do foreigners actually buy in the U.S.? According to the National Association of Realtors, or NAR, statistics, from 2010 to 2020, existing home purchases by foreigners averaged around 200,000 units. In the last three years, this has declined dramatically, with COVID being a big factor, to around 100,000 units in 2021 and 2022. Typically, the number of houses bought by foreigners who are non-residents of the U.S. is roughly 50%, with the other half being bought by residents. This trend has largely been maintained throughout the last decade. However, in recent years, the percentage of foreign U.S. resident purchases have crept up, with non-resident purchase shares declining. How about the makeup of foreigners who purchase homes here? Maybe not surprisingly, Canadians make up the largest share, raising anywhere between 10 to 23 percent of foreign real estate purchases in the US, depending on the year. Next is China, ranging anywhere from 6 to 16 percent, and in third place is Mexico, ranging from 8 to 13 percent. Other large shares include countries like India, the UK, and Colombia. What about top destinations for foreigners? For Chinese, it's largely California, with 33% of homes purchased there, but also a large amount in Florida and Texas. As for Canadians, it's overwhelmingly Florida, with 55% of homes being bought there, and 14% being bought in Arizona. And lastly, what about Mexicans? They largely buy in Texas and California. Another important statistic is the use cases of these homes. Going back to 2011, roughly half of the foreign buyers purchased these homes as either summer homes or rental properties. About 50% of Canadians purchased the homes to use on vacation, whereas Chinese and Mexican buyers had a much higher percentage of buyers purchasing as their primary resident, 30% and 53% respectively. As we've already mentioned, most people buy real estate in another country to live there as residential property, a summer home, or as an investment, and to rent out. But we should probably ask another question first. Why do Chinese people, or any foreigners, want to buy land or homes in the United States? Well, first off, there is, or was, a lack of restriction. This has made the U.S. an accessible place for foreigners to do business. Secondly, stability. The U.S. is seen as having stable and deep financial markets, which is why it has been one of the leading places for foreign investors, and property is no different. Not only are real estate values relatively stable and typically increasing year over year, The US government can't just arbitrarily seize your home without good reason and fair compensation, which is not the case in many countries. Foreigners can also get approved for a mortgage and sometimes without any credit history. Furthermore, according to the NAR, home prices in some US metro areas are significantly cheaper than abroad. Hong Kong has the highest home prices at $28,000 per square meter, Beijing is $11,000 per square meter, and other cities like Paris are to- and Tokyo are around $15,000. While New York is on the high end, at around $17,000, cities like Miami, Las Vegas, and Austin are only $3,000 per square meter, representing a significant value. Okay. Finally, let's address the question of how we should view this, both from an economic perspective as well as other perspectives. It should first be mentioned that economists hold numerous assumptions when making their arguments. These aren't typically talked about much, but it's important to mention one that is important in this case just briefly. Economists implicitly subscribe to a utilitarian view of ethics. This states that an outcome is good if it increases satisfaction or well-being when taking into account all of the associated costs. Some might disagree with this basic guiding principle of how to measure welfare, especially if they hold a different ethical philosophy, such as deontology, which focuses on rule-based principles for deciding what is good or bad without focusing just explicitly on the outcomes. So while economists might hold the position that a policy is good based on a welfare analysis that relies on a utilitarian viewpoint, it's important to note that this could be opposed. That being said, just like free trade, economists typically view restrictions on market transactions as distorting, leading to the inefficient allocation of resources. So what does that mean? Well in simple terms, it means that there were buyers willing to pay for a home in the United States, and sellers willing to sell at some price, both of whom would have benefited. With a restriction put in place, the property will not be allocated to its highest use value, and both parties will lose out. This is welfare reducing. Many proponents of a ban on property purchases by foreigners might take the view, that is no sweat off their back if a foreigner doesn't get to buy a property because they aren't from here. Economists don't think that way, which is why economists typically promote policies like, again, free trade, but also the free movement of people to other countries. But many proponents of the ban also forget about the home seller in this instance. Home sellers in the U.S. lose out as well and not just large developers and construction companies. Average Americans who want to sell their home and could get a larger bid from a foreign buyer now can't make that transaction. They lose out as well. Beyond the efficiency losses from the restrictions, there are other issues that economists look at as well. Property prices might be pushed down, as some foreign investors who would have been willing to pay more for the property than domestic buyers. In fact, this is exactly what the Canadian government is hoping will happen in a lot of their major cities. While many argue that this likely won't have the large impact the Canadian government expects, given that the amount of foreign property purchases are only roughly 2-6% of overall housing purchases, there is another reason economists oppose this lower prices reduce incentive for property development. In normal markets, high prices usually mean more producers coming in and increasing supply. If prices skyrocket, we typically see a whole bunch of new home building. However, housing markets are a bit different than other markets, and countries typically have restrictions on how many homes can be built in a certain area, the type of home, and a slew of other regulations and codes. Economists don't agree with this either. However, that's a topic for another episode. Lastly, restrictions on foreign ownership can reduce foreign investment, which can have broader impacts on the economy. Foreign investment is typically a good thing, as it can stimulate economic growth, create jobs, and bring in new technologies and practices. Think about the Chinese person who was willing to purchase a home in the US, but now can't. That money would have flowed into the country, and the seller would have used it to buy goods and services, stimulating demand. Now that money will go elsewhere. They might buy a home in another country, or they might look for another way to invest in the US, such as buying US equities or treasuries. Remember back to our episode on trade deficits, because the US runs a trade deficit with China, they sent us more goods than we sent them, and they now have extra dollars to spend. If they don't buy houses, they'll buy some other US asset. Now of course, economic considerations aren't the only ones. For example, one of the main driving factors in this decision by the Florida governor, is likely political. Being tough on foreign countries seen as hostile to the US wins votes. This isn't totally out of the realm of economics, as there's a whole branch of economics known as public choice theory which looks at the behavior of politicians through the lens of economic theory. Politicians often make decisions based on their own interest, which may or may not lead to the best outcomes for society. A good book on this topic, if you're interested, is The Myth of the Rational Voter by Brian Kaplan. There are also other considerations to take into account, such as equity. While equity is often seen by economists as being a trade-off between economic efficiency, these arguments are often defensible, especially if markets are seen as being less than perfectly competitive, which is often the case. This goes back to the case of Canada. The Canadian government might feel that, even though foreign buyers and local sellers might lose out, and even the economy at large to some extent, people with lower incomes should still be able to buy houses to live in. This is of course a political decision, and economists would have some suggestions as to policies that while still being welfare-reducing, are less so compared to an outright ban on foreign property purchases. One example of this would be a progressive property tax that increases with the value of the property. This would help to discourage speculative investment, and the government could use the revenues towards building affordable housing. While this is only one possible solution, it is seen by economists as a better solution. Finally, other concerns come from the perspective of national security. What about the Chinese companies beholden to the Communist Party whose ownership of U.S. property or land might give them access to U.S.-based information or, possibly, an attempt to attack our food supply? While it's probably reasonable to limit ownership of property near military bases and other critical infrastructure, A lot of the worry over ownership of US farmland is most likely overstated. According to 2021 statistics, foreigners only own 3.1% of US farmland, and only 29% of that is cropland, meaning that foreigners own just 0.9% of US cropland. China currently owns 0.08% or around 35,000 acres of cropland. And of all Chinese-owned farmland in the U.S., almost 90% is owned by just three entities. Smithfield Foods, a subsidiary of the WH Group, which is the largest pork producer in the world, and the companies of investor Sun Guangxin. And lastly, the Walton International Group, a real estate management firm. While national security is always a valid concern and should be carefully examined, it needs to be weighed against the benefits of economic linkages between countries that act as a conflict deterrent. If foreigners own property or land in the U.S., this must at least to some degree act as a disincentive to war and conflict. According to McCartan Humphreys of Harvard University, Countries that trade together are less likely to fight each other. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and write a comment telling you what you like or how to improve.